Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. We are recording this a few hours before the game uh, against the 76ers on uh, Monday the 25th. So uh, we're happy to have Dante uh, again with us for this episode. Uh, we're just going to launch straight into it. So uh, earlier in the season, uh, I believe just before the season, uh, we spoke about uh, just occasionally checking up on a certain group of players periodically through the season, throughout the season. Uh, those are going to be Jeremy Grant and the young players, particularly uh, Jackson, well, namely rather Jackson, uh, Bay, Stewart, and so on. Uh, Killian Hayes as well, who, who ever since his, you know, it has been a very long time since he even missed a shot. So he's, he's been doing great. Um, <laughs> so uh, we'll just start straight off with Jeremy Grant. Tommy, I know you had thoughts about him. Uh, what do you think about how he's been doing lately? Uh, like we talked a little bit about just how, I mean, you disagree with me, but I feel like this might, this level of production, we've, we've talked about how great it is, but I feel like it might take a step back just as teams start to game plan him a little bit. We saw that happen a little bit with, I think, the Houston game where he, he wasn't able to knock his shots down, but he was getting to the line plenty. I think that's the result of teams, you know, starting to learn his game, uh, learn his weaknesses. And even though he doesn't seem to have too many right now, I think his trouble passing uh, off the drive and in the mid-range I think that's something that teams are going to look to kind of exploit, maybe take advantage of his tunnel vision. So I would expect, you know, maybe his efficiency to drop a little bit. But uh, I know you guys feel differently, uh, or at least you do, Mike. So that's my main thing that I'm watching for with him. I think he's playing still really well, and I'm really encouraged by the fact that he's getting these calls. But I, I would expect his efficiency to tank a little bit. I would say, uh, I, I know you have brought up the game against the 76ers, which was the first game of the season in which he really struggled. Did a decent job of getting on the line, but he missed a lot of shots. Uh, if I remember correctly, he didn't do too well against the Rockets either, though I, I don't think that was because they were playing him particularly well, simply because the Rockets don't really have anybody who can play him all that well. But against the 76ers, it looks like he just missed a lot of really makeable shots. A lot of them were just barely missing. He also was playing against the buzzsaw defensive combo of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I, I'm of the opinion that they are the best defensive duo in the entire NBA. Uh, both of them fully capable of handling him. Uh, I do agree that over time, it's probably going to become more difficult for him to score. I mean, the, the Pistons are pretty much, unless you want to consider Rose, who does a decent enough job off the bench most of the time on creating offense for himself. They're pretty much just a one-horse show in which Jeremy Grant is the only guy who's really capable of effectively creating offense for himself. So over time, I'm sure that'll happen. We're, uh, I believe, I mean, we're about a quarter of the way through the season. And just what this brings me, uh, what this brings me back to is, is the Pistons of 2017, 2018, who started out really well with that handoff offense and so on and so forth. And it, it took about a quarter of the season for teams to really start catching on and, of course, the uh, the coach back back then, who uh, who shall go <laughs> nameless, and uh, who is not doing a very good job at all with the Pelicans, uh, which should come as no surprise to any Pistons fan, uh, did nothing to keep it fresh. And then the Pistons just you know they started losing games by small margin, and then whatever. So I don't think it's out of the question. You're correct. Uh, I'm guessing. I mean, uh, teams probably not taking the Pistons super seriously, but. You know, good teams will game plan for Grant, so I would agree that his production might go down. There's also the fact that we are only, I mean, he hasn't played many games in, in a much bigger role. I mean, it's still a relatively small sample size, so we'll see if he can sustain this at all. 
No, I think you might be seeing a little bit of tired legs with with Jeremy as well because I found in the last two games where his efficiency uh, dropped a little bit, um, I felt that he was largely playing, you know, pretty much the same as how he's played all season, uh, doing the same things, taking the same shots in the same places, uh, making those same drives to the basket, uh, but it just wasn't dropping. Um, and sometimes the shots don't drop, so I, I don't know if it's uh, – that he's having trouble adapting uh, to the attention that defenses are now giving him. I think it may be to do with the fact that he's been uh, the only consistently good offensive force on the team for uh, like a month and a half now. Oh, except for Killian, because he hasn't missed a shot since the Milwaukee game. But other than that, you know, Jeremy, yeah, he's probably pretty tired. So uh, I do expect him to score right up around the uh, 22 to 25 points per game range for the rest of the season. I don't think it's out of the question that you'll see his efficiency drop. I mean, we we just observed it the last couple of games, but overall, I'm 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 still pretty happy with his play, and I think he could be drawing a few more fouls too. Uh, I know he shot ten free throws the other night, but when, when you watch someone like Trey Young just kind of run into people and throw his arms up and get every single uh, trip to the line that he can get, uh, you almost wonder if Grant could could get a few more trips to the line during a game as well. So. Uh, I'm expecting things to level out, but I don't think it's out of the question that he's probably pretty exhausted right now. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially because the schedule has been very punishing. The Pistons, well, the Pistons, I uh, suppose, did get one game postponed, but it's been pretty punishing overall, and he has been shouldering an enormous amount of the load. Uh, he has actually, just in, in reference to his willingness to pass, he uh, over the first his first 11 games, he had a, an assist percentage of about uh, between 8 and 9% which is terrible just terrible for for a player with his level of usage it basically just means he, he wasn't passing the ball <laughs> at the very least maybe he was passing the ball and players just weren't hitting hitting shots off the passes but really what it was is he was just not passing the ball very much over the last five games uh, he has actually more than doubled that so uh, grant has had an assist percentage of 20 and a half which is you know which is very respectable uh, that uh, that actually ranks him. Uh, behind only the point guards, beyond Svi as well, but Svi has played this average nine minutes over this you know game over this five games. You take that with a grain of salt. The guy's been playing thirty six minutes. Uh, Jeremy Grant has, and yeah, with an assist percentage not not that much uh, less than than Rose and Delon Wright. Uh, we shouldn't uh, you know ignore, of course, legendary Seven Lee with his forty four point four percent assist percentage. I kid, of course, Imagine because he's played just a legend. Yeah, he's played thirteen and a half minutes <laughs> over that span. So we'll okay. talk him uh, about a little bit about him later. But I'm happy to see that from Jeremy. Uh, he's, he's, done a, he's done a good job of it. He's, he's done it uh, also very safely with an assist-turnover ratio around 3-1. to one. That's very good. Again, that's only a five-game sample, but it's nice to see him start adding that a bit to his game. Mm-hmm. No, he's been impressive as a passer, I find. Um, and it's not just those like easy you pass to the wide-open guy and they drain a three. Um, he's finding some creative ways to get guys in positions to score, um, especially when he kind of, you know, there's been a couple... Uh, Plumley and Stewart dunks where Jeremy kind of drives and then he does some mid-air reverse type of thing where he kind of hands the ball off before he's even touched the ground again. Yeah, um, And that's a good sign. That's very encouraging uh, for his playmaking moving forward because they're not just your easy, oh, I guess no assist is really easy because you have to have the vision. But he's showing an acumen for, for uh, having really good court vision, which is going to be essential uh, on the nights that his shots aren't falling. Yeah. 
the the issue, I mean, over the past five games, an issue he has had, though, is his efficiency overall is tanked. He's been at about 53.5% true shooting, which is not good, even you know, even for a guy at, who is who is creating as much off the dribble as he is. That's still a bad mark. The Pistons are still a net positive team with him on the court. Uh, you know, that, that has been consistently the case throughout the season. Of course, they're, they're considerably better when he's out there without Griffin, just because Griffin exerts a downward drag on everyone, but... Yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, I I know that there are you know a lot of Pistons fans are very excited about how he's done, you know how much he's you know what what he can be in the future. And a thing I would say about Grant's whatever the future might hold, if they bring in some another person who who uh, develops into a star, you know who knows maybe if the Pistons get really lucky and end up with Cade Cunningham, for example, you don't really expect that Grant is going to be scoring this much in the future because only one person can have the ball. And when it's, it's a great problem to have when you have a lot of guys, you know, you have several guys who can, who can create offense and score uh, at a high level on high volume. So, you know, $20 million, if the, assuming the Pistons are trying to win at that point, whenever that is, I don't, I don't know if the Pistons will be in position to win by year three, but, uh, but we'll see. Uh, it, it's really, it's reassuring that the guy is also a good defender and he can play both on and off the ball effectively. But we're a ways away from that. Now, one concern I have about Jeremy Grant, and this goes into the future, is that the Pistons are not losing games by much right now. And let's say you get Cade Cunningham, and suddenly the team is good enough that now they're winning games, and and they're they're not in position to pick high for a second, you know, for thirty in a row. That does concern me. Can I disagree? <laughs> no, <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I just just for the sake of argument, I mean, let's say we do go. I'm not expecting Cade Cunningham. Uh, I can't. Uh, I couldn't fathom something good happening to the Pistons uh, in the draft lottery ever. But let's say we do, and let's say we do get Cade Cunningham, and let's say that Jeremy Grant continues a strong play. Uh, let's say that Killian Hayes continues to not miss a shot, um, and the young guys all take a step forward. I, I would be if we have like a franchise player who, in my opinion, Cade Cunningham could come in and, and be your foundational piece as a franchise player, and, and the rest of those things happen, and, and we start winning games, I'm not going to be upset about it. I think that's a natural progression um, for a good team. I don't know if, like, if you have the pieces to win, and those pieces are decently young with a chance to kind of round out and become even better, um, I don't see a problem with that. If that were to happen next year and we were to land uh, one of those top five picks and one of those guys is better than expected off the bat, I'm I'm good with it. You know, it'd be nice to to see some winning basketball again because not only would you then be winning, you'd be winning with the chance to win even more um, as these players develop. So that that's where my difference of opinion uh, would come in. But I understand too that multiple high lottery picks are probably best. But I guess it's going to depend how we get there. Yeah, I can I can just second hear Tom <laughs> to get in on this. Yeah, I mean we've talked in the yeah, past about yeah. how ideally, I think my vision was you know you suck for three years and then by the time that first rookie contract extension is like ready to be signed, you know you have ideally three really young guys who are your core, and uh, at that point. You have some cap space, you sign vets, and that's how you like maximize the amount of talent that you have on your roster while staying under the cap. And that's why that was one of the reasons I was kind of not upset about the Jeremy Grant contract, but he doesn't fit the timeline as well as, you know, three consecutive high picks would. I mean, Grant, I think he's about to turn twenty seven in his when his contract runs out, he'll be what, twenty nine. That's that's something to worry about, you know, that he does accelerate your timeline. Uh but 
to go back to like his performance, I I was gonna say that part of the reason I think his his production might drop off a little bit is because yeah, he is like the main source of offense right now. But I am encouraged by what I've seen. I think he can play next to a guy like Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs or whoever is gonna be that lead ball handler. Um, that's not a problem to me. I, I think he'll maybe his efficiency would pick back up at that point. I think his efficiency would suffer only because, you know, teams are really game planning him and quite frankly frankly we suck right now. I mean we especially in that Houston game, we could not get inside. Uh, there was just it was all passing around on the perimeter and he was just doing the bulk of the creation to get inside. Yeah, if you if you can't get inside against the Houston yeah. Rockets, then you got big problems, especially without Christian Wood on the floor. <laughs> I mean, Demarcus Cousins, you know, cool. So it's nice been it's been nice to see him have uh, some decent games. He had a very good game uh, the game after uh, after the one they played against the Pistons. He had a very good game, but he's hopeless as an interior protector now. He's just hopeless. So uh, and, yeah, I, I think, of course, having help would make would make Grant more effective. I don't think he'd score as many points. He just, you know, he'd be able to score on higher efficiency and, and so on and so forth. Uh, it, it's like we've said in the past, I, I never thought the Pistons would suck for three years. But if they start winning next year, I'm just concerned that it's uh, it's just premature. I don't think you want to start pulling the trigger on, on winning games when you don't necessarily have the ceiling you would want to you know win a championship, for example. It, it's everybody's ideal situation. end up with two superstars, but... Yeah, I, I would not like to see it happen next year. You'd really, really be banking on developments from from a lot of the young players at that stage. You'd need to have somebody, because uh, I, I don't think Jeremy Grant's ever going to be the second best player in a championship team. All right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, this is contingent on it happening naturally, though. Like, I, I wouldn't say that uh, it's, I, I don't know that Troy Weaver would say, okay, uh, you know, we got Cade Cunningham, it's time to win, and then just flip the switch and start trading future first-round picks for oh, no, no, someone to get his way in Ellington. I would hope that that wouldn't happen. Uh, I'm just personally not opposed to uh, winning games if it that's just so happened that just so happens to be how it how it plays out naturally. Well, it's going to play out naturally that way because uh, because of what Weber did last season or this last off season rather. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. So I, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily say that's that's uh, that wouldn't strictly speaking be the be the natural progression of a rebuild. What he did was a little strange, uh, in my opinion. I don't continue to say that. Yeah, you could say it was that. a little strange saying and. And I, I think the fixation on, you know, the winning culture and so on and so forth is a little excessive. And I kind of feel, though, you know, it's, it's just I know I'm repeating what I've said before, a little irritated that the Pistons couldn't just do this to the traditional way. This is the traditional way always work. No. Uh, do I think it has a better chance of succeeding in terms of becoming a championship contender than what has been done? Yes. Because uh, I think that basically he, he artificially, you know, not artificially, he took, he took steps to raise the team seller for this season. And and that's going to hurt in terms of I think the team will win more next season, which which uh, may not be entirely ideal. So, all right, so let's move on uh, to our next subject. We'll talk a little bit about Josh Jackson. So Josh Jackson, who looked very very promising early in the season and, and during the preseason, but has absolutely horribly fallen off a cliff since he got back. Uh, the guy can't hit a shot. So no. Yeah. It's been bad. No, how much do you guys think the ankle is still affecting him? Because I personally feel like someone who's a slasher like that, um, especially also too with the three point shot, you're really trying to make sure you've got a good center of gravity and, and you want to put your weight distribution in the right place. I, I, I've sprained my ankle a number of times, but it's it's horrible. I, I don't know if you guys have ever had a really bad ankle sprain. It's one of the worst injuries you could get. It's it's horrible. how did it uh, uh, how did it affect you on the floor in the NBA? 
Uh, well, I, I scored about as much as Killian has been scoring uh, in the past couple of weeks. So that's, yeah, I was a better three-point shooter than Josh Jackson. Uh, yeah, I can tell you that yeah, uh, enough, recently. Yeah. But I don't know. You just got to – I'm just wondering if that's still lingering because it depends on the um, the grade of the of the tear because really you're tearing the, the ligaments that are holding your ankle together, right? So if it's still bothering him and he's still kind of walking around gingerly on it, I could see how that might affect him. Um, and I'd also rather believe that than he just forgot how to shoot a basketball or what we saw earlier in the season was just a mirage. Um, I think it's plausible that the injury is still playing a factor. I think it's mental. Uh, in what he's doing on the court, but obviously that might not be the case. It's possible. I, it, it, yeah, it could be mental too, but what, what, con- yeah. What, yeah, what concerned me early in the season is that he was making a lot of very difficult shots uh, in the paint. Uh, he he had the, he had his move where he would drive in and curl around, uh, generally curling from from left to right, and he would use his right hands to make a shot basically right over or or around uh, the the outstretched arm of whoever is protecting the rim, and that's a tough shot to make. Yeah, it's cool too. Yeah. It looks awesome. It looks awesome, and it was exciting. Yeah, it looks awesome, but it, it's tough to make. He was also just shooting. Mm-hmm. He was shooting his three considerably better. I mean, the guy ever since his return. Uh, his, his efficiency is, to say the least, comically bad. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. At uh, 43% true shooting, that is terrible. Especially the guy's getting a lot of run, too. He's continuing to get a lot of run, despite the fact that he's been awful. I mean, one thing I could say that, that might indicate he's maybe not not quite as bad, uh, you know, maybe it's not his ankle, is that he the team has still been good defensively with him on the floor. Uh, like, better than uh, better than almost anybody else. Uh, you know, in terms of, of course, there's a lot that goes into defensive rating. I'm not using this as a, you know, as a be all end all statistic, but in, in terms of players who've gotten minutes, the team has been better defensively only with Isaiah Stewart on the floor. So uh, I don't know. It does look like he has a little bit less jump, but uh, I got to agree with Tommy. I think it's more mental. Uh, he just, he looks different, but who knows? Could be a combination of both, but an issue with Jackson and Phoenix that we're seeing here is that he does take a lot. He is taking a lot of bad shots. And I think the difference is, yeah, that he came back in that, in that that game against Phoenix and, and he looked terrible. Like he was forcing a lot of shots early on. They weren't going in. And then I think he just lost his confidence. I think that's just carried over into these other games. That's all I see from it. Like he, yeah, you're, you're right. He was hitting, you know, he was shooting on a, a little bit unsustainably well for his, uh, for his, yeah, his history. Exactly. And I didn't expect history. that to carry on that long, but for it to drop off that hard and uh, for him to you know, kind of cool off that much in one game and then it just keeps going, I think it was a mental issue. I think he just lost his confidence. Uh, he wasn't really playing super well. I mean, his efficiency wasn't great before that either. I mean, he was uh, he was about 57% for shooting, which is which is good. I mean, and he was creating a fair amount of offense. So if you could sustain that, it would have been like, cool, awesome, good for you. Uh, you know, that would have been perfectly acceptable. But uh, I felt like the issue with Jackson has never been that he can't create offense. His issue has been that he creates offense very inefficiently. So, you know, we'll see. This is, you got, if this, if he's not good this year, you got another year to try to work it out. So we've heard nothing bad about him behind the scenes at all. You know, there have been no no reports of troubles in the locker room or troubles off the court or anything like that. So that's that's encouraging. It's not a situation in which he's been bad, sure, but you don't really need to worry about it right now. You guys got uh, any other thoughts on Jackson? Well, I hope he returns to form. 
Um, well, I, I don't know if to form is the right word. I hope he can continue to, to produce at the level he was producing earlier in the season because that's just another asset for the Pistons, right? So we're going to have to see how that kind of shakes out. Um, fingers crossed. I don't know. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm uh, reading it correctly and I do think the ankle is still bothering him a bit, then we'll probably see him uh, marginally get better and better uh, in a gradual way. Um, but if not, I mean, we're not paying him that much and it's not a long deal. Yeah. And those are the kind of flyers a rebuilding team needs to take. Oh, great. Yeah, so, yeah. that was great. Absolutely. Yeah, not not great. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Rather, I think it was a great idea to take the flyer. Uh, you know, even if it fails, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Yep. Absolutely. I'd like to see more flyers like that in the future, quite honestly, yeah. because, you know, one of these days, uh, someone will have a Josh Jackson like uh, resurgence uh, here if you keep giving these guys chances. And eventually it'll not to say that Josh Jackson won't stick, but you, you, you've got to think um, eventually someone will elevate their level of play in a new environment and they'll maintain it. And we're a team who could desperately use something like that, you know, taking nothing and, and turning it into an asset. Yeah, I was I was not very happy that that there were so few players uh, on, on whom Weaver took a chance in this offseason. For example, it was pretty much just Jackson and Okafor who has nothing to offer. <laughs> so. No, Okafor does, and I'm much higher on Jackson than I am on Okafor. Oh, yeah. And Okafor is taking minutes from, well, not necessarily anymore, but when Okafor is on the floor, that means Stewart's not on the yeah. floor which means that I have less fun watching the games. Well, <laughs> frankly, so. Okafor has never had much to offer. That's the thing. I mean, he's, he's never been particularly distinguished in his NBA career. It's often been empty stats because there's very, very little. I mean, he had a, he had a decent rookie season, but even those stats hit the fact that uh, he can't pass, he can't shoot, and he can't play defense. And he's a really crappy mover and he's not athletic. All he can do is... Uh, is score when he's given the ball around the basket and that's so basically you're you're perfect nba player yeah because that's the rest of your success yeah, absolutely you yeah me. uh so yeah i mean I, i've uh you know you can look at stewart with, for example with uh when the context of casey and playing as young players and say oh he got to play over okafor okafor is barely quality or for okafor is never an established veteran he's not a guy who has a pedigree of being good or, or a guy who has a you know he has he has a pedigree of struggling and of having issues off the court that, that is that is his NBA pedigree, and I don't think it's out of the question that he would have been out of the NBA this season if the Pistons hadn't signed him. He's not a good player, and basically, it wasn't a matter of Stewart needing to win away his minutes. It was they were both going to get a chance, and whoever looked better was going to get the minutes. And Stewart immediately superseded uh, Okafor, which was not surprising because Okafor has very very little to offer. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so. Yeah, I, I know we, we said we tracked Stewart earlier on. We talked about Stewart in the last episode. I don't know if there's anything you guys have to. No, he's fun. He is so fun to watch. Like I, I understand um, the reservations around taking uh, what it, what it, at least right now is a, a more traditional center uh, so early in the draft. But I, I just have a ton of fun watching him play. Um, I've never seen, well, at least not in recent Pistons history. Uh, such a ferocious offensive rebounder um, because a lot of Drummond's offensive rebounds came on. He missed the shot and he's just bigger than everybody else. So he can kind of reach up and tip his own shot back up. And then he misses that and then he tips it again. And he, you know, he comes away with like three rebounds and two points off one possession. Whereas Isaiah Stewart is just like, he's awesome. He's awesome. I, I love watching it. I, I know you guys do too. And I can see why he's becoming a fan favorite because that competitive fire, um, like just the will to absolutely do anything necessary to grab that ball 
uh, is something that's been missing um, from the Pistons for a long time. So I'm a big fan of Stewart. That's I know that's not groundbreaking yeah, I'm analysis, really but those them. are just my personal feelings. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know that. Yeah, that that was that was part of the reason. Just to break in, that was part of the reason. I know that that Troy Weaver drafted him so high was yep, exactly. because you just really like the guy's it's good to have that guy on the floor his energy is infectious i feel like we play harder when he's out there and uh he he helps us in transition too like if i don't know if you've noticed but we move up the floor way faster when he's there because stewart never he never walks up the floor he like as soon as he gets the oh, rebound as soon as hustles. he goes in as soon as something happens he's like at least jogging up the floor you know it's it's infectious yep Mm-hmm. And he never looks mm-hmm. tired. No, I mean, right now with his, he's, the whole he's, time. he's still pretty foul prone. Yeah. So I think the uh, the bench minutes and that role is really good for him. So I, I, I like I like how they're using him right now. I like that he got yeah. the uh, his he shoulders seems to have won the, min- the backup me. minutes over right. Okafor and credit to Casey. That's a good that's a good decision. Yeah, I agree. He's uh, he is actually speaking of his his offensive rebounding. He is. In terms of players who have gotten significant minutes, he's a, a top 10 player in offensive rebounds for under possessions. So that's good to see. Uh, he is also, uh, yeah, it, it really, he needs to, he is incredibly foul prone. That's not helpful. Uh, also, <laughs> this is, this bears mention, uh, you know, Mason Plumlee, if you want to talk about foul prone, I mean, it just is an A-side. Mason Plumlee is now fouled out of four straight games. Which is oh which God. is impressive by any measure, especially because he's you know he's played up, if I remember correctly about high twenties in every game. Uh, that that is impressive in its own right. He has now fouled out about forty percent of his games with the Pistons. So, uh, in any event, yeah, one thing. I mean, Isaiah Stewart. This is one thing that that is just going to happen with rookies. You saw it happen with Bruce Brown in his rookie season. You play too hard. Uh, you're playing against players who are better than you played against before, and you're not familiar with the game, and you commit a lot of fouls. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fouls. Yeah, yeah, no, your yeah, your desire to play defense um, is is outpacing your ability to play proper defense for for a lot of these rookies. So if you're someone like Bruce Brown, Isaiah Stewart, uh, and you really, really, really want to play defense and you want to play it well, uh, there's a good chance that you just don't have those uh, foundational, fundamental skills that'll allow you to do it without fouling at every single opportunity you get. Um, but you know what? That's that's something I'd imagine he'll grow out of. Uh, Plumley didn't clearly, um, so Plumley's not the guy to learn from. But Stewart, I'm I'm not too concerned with the foul trouble because that to me just shows that he wants to play defense. He might not quite know how yet um, at the most refined level, uh, but I'm sure he'll improve. I'm positive he'll improve. Actually, yeah, it's it's just a matter of, I mean, the game is played differently. Like you have guys like uh, you watched him defending Embiid, for example, and there was one possession on which Greg Kelser just said, you know. And I don't, yeah, whatever. I, I'll spare the commentary on Greg Kessel. In this case, he was right. Uh, he, he said, wait for it. You're going to hear the whistle. You're going to hear the whistle. And sure enough, the whistle blew because Embiid is fantastic at drawing fouls. And there is nothing in, in Stewart's experience that could possibly have prepared him to try to defend a player like Embiid, who is, I've said it before, I think one of the most underrated players in the league. He is an excellent basketball player. And is, mm-hmm. you're not seeing anyone like that in college. No, hell, no, not even close. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not even you close. Know, uh, not, you know, he only played a year there, even, even from guys who are coming into the NBA. There's nobody like that. I mean, Joel Embiid is, is, isn't, especially in terms of pain offense. I mean, he's the best post player in the NBA by a post scorer, excuse me, if you want to 
include post passing. You throw Jokic in there as well. But as far as post scoring, he is the best uh, player in the NBA in that category, bar none. He's a battering. Rat. I agree. Yeah, but you know, Stewart is he's all about getting into it and getting you know, and then just being in the thick of it, and that's going to lead you to a lot of fouls early on in your career. So. But you know, in terms of rebounding, yeah, he's he's, he's definitely doing real well. Uh, he's he's got a, a very good, you know, very high contested rebound percentage. He does well on that. Uh, yeah, he's yeah he's uh, he, he's good at it. He needs to work on his paint scoring. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I'm a little concerned because he doesn't tend to jump when he throws the ball up, and that's a problem in the NBA. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I, I'd really like to see him start being able to shoot. But this is a case where Dwayne Casey was very fixated on winning. Is you know, and, and what continues to be uh, the wrong way to do things is not going to let players do something that they're not necessarily good at yet, which is yeah, really yeah. We talked about this last yeah. time. We talked about this last time where it's like, you know, just because you don't want to have Isaiah Stewart out there running around like he's uh, Steph Curry against Cleveland in the finals, like I, I don't think any of the three of us would be upset if he was wide open um, beyond the line and, and shot one because his shots look good um, fundamentally and mechanically sound. Uh, I'm not going to be upset if it doesn't go in because you, you kind of need to get those reps in a game before you're going to have the confidence to actually start making them. Uh, but Dwayne Casey's not that kind of coach, right? He's fixated on, well, I want to win at all costs. And right now you're not a good three point shooter, which means don't even think about it. Granted that didn't, um, you know, that didn't apply to Drummond when he was taking step back threes and stuff, but we'll just, we'll leave that for another time. Yeah. But uh, it is an impressive t- a statistic for, for Stewart in terms of contested rebound percentage, the, that's the percentage of contested rebounds you grab. Uh, if you're looking at players who score more than, excuse me, who play more than 15 minutes a night, he is number four in the NBA. I mean, and you got to yeah, take that stat in context, of course. But, and if you look at the guys in front of him, of course, like uh, like Robin Lopez, who's number two, is not, you know, an all-world rebounder. Uh, Jacob Pertl, Jakob Pertl is number one. He's, uh, you know, he's pretty good. Mitchell Robinson is an excellent rebounder. He's at number three. Uh, so Stewart sandwiched in between him and Steven Adams. So uh, he's, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely, one thing, I mean, he's not athletic. He's not athletic in the sense of he's not a good jumper. He's not very quick. He's not very explosive. But he is extremely difficult to move because the guy is about, to, you know, he's six foot nine, I think 250 pounds with very little fat on him. Uh, he's thick, to put it that way. Uh, if, he, if he sets himself down at, at some place in the paints, you're going to have a very difficult time moving him out of the way. <laughs> Uh, I guess density is the word you're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. So very dense, yeah, very dense. Very dense. So fun yeah. to watch. I completely agree with that. And I just wish he were in a situation where, in which he were allowed to do more because all Dwayne Casey is allowing him to do is set picks and muck around in the paint. And that's, uh, and again, that that's a casualty of, of having a coach. And, and also we'll talk about this a little bit later. The, you know, probably also a general manager who's just more focused on the quote unquote winning culture right now than on actually getting these players the reps they that that might help them in their development. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, Sadiq Bay, who's uh, who, who finally got more minutes against the 76ers uh, after a stretch in which he got hardly any. That was uh, thanks to you know that this has been a common theme in in the young players playing a a larger percentage of minutes. Blake Griffin was out. So uh, Dwayne Casey more or less had to start one of the young players, <laughs> you know, there's a common theme with how it was in Toronto. It's like, uh, okay, I give big minutes to the young players. Cause I have no other choice, you know, in, in his last season there, it's that time and again, well, it's purely out of necessity, yeah, purely out purely. of necessity. Yeah. 
Uh, yep. Yeah, do uh, in his last season, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Masai Ujiri traded away five big minute veterans. It's like, okay, now you have no choice, uh, you know, for whatever purpose that was. But uh, I still think it was to get Casey to play the younger core. But so Bay played, uh, he kind of started a name only, but only played 19 minutes. And uh, which increases, uh, therefore, his average over the previous five games to 11 and a half minutes a game. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, glorious. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, to those who weren't listening to the last episode, the reason that that, that Bay, despite having shot over the previous eight games before his minutes were slashed, he'd shot forty-seven uh, percent from three on six attempts per game over the previous eight games. Uh, he, he played well. He got his minutes slashed for what really was no reason because there was no call for it. The reason it happened, so two reasons. Number one, uh, when Casey gives more minutes to another young player, he does it by taking minutes away from somebody else. Josh Jackson's minutes went up and therefore Sadiq minutes, Sadiq Bay's minutes went down pretty much. Uh, that, that's, that's more or less what happened. <laughs> um, or, or in a case, well, Jackson's minutes went up a bit and, and Seku got more minutes. Uh, that was in the first game when, when, uh, when Bay's minutes went, uh, went down and then uh, Svi got more minutes. And, and the second reason is that, is that Dwayne Casey has been just slashing minutes altogether lately for the young players. Uh, in the four games prior to the 76ers game, uh, the the youth accounted for about 27% of the total minutes, which is absurdly low. Uh, they're, they're legitimately, I mean, if you want to include the two-way players, there are currently uh, seven of them. <laughs> and they accounted for 27% of the minutes, which is terrible. And uh, I crunched some stats on this, actually. Uh, in games in which... Uh, neither Griffin in games in which you're, you don't have Griffin uh, or we'll put it this way in games in which the Pistons are playing with a full roster of veterans and it is not a blowout blowout. Of course, you're going to have different minutes allocations because it doesn't matter in the fourth quarter. So what you call standard games, the, the youngsters are getting an average of about 31 and a half percent of the minutes, which is terrible. That is comically bad. So, uh, but, but uh, again, we'll talk about that a bit later, uh, but yeah, so Bay, hasn't looked good and I'm frustrated because he was playing well. And I feel like this, I feel like him just abruptly losing minutes and, and, and playing legitimately over the course of, over the course of three games, he played 22 minutes. And I feel like that really threw him off his rhythm. I think it was, absolutely it was stupid. I would like to say rhythm. Rhythm plays a, plays a huge factor, especially, uh, I think it plays a huge factor for any player, but especially three point shooting players. Um, I find that if you're not consistently, uh, repeating the motions, finding your spots on the floor, um, kind of getting your footing in the offense there and maintaining it. If you just all of a sudden go from playing 20, 25 minutes a game and jacking up six, seven, eight shots to now you're coming in for like three minutes because somebody's in foul trouble and then you're going to sit, of course it destroys your rhythm. Um, and it's the same thing I think we saw happen with uh, Svi as well. Uh, you just, it, the Casey's handling of these players is mind boggling to me. I, I can't fathom uh, the minute allocation or why it might be the way it is. And I know, uh, Mike, you just mentioned how the minutes of the of the youth are pulled from the other minutes of the youth. They're sharing from a collective pool of minutes where the veterans are separate. Yeah, a small pool of minutes. Um, too. Yeah, the veterans. A the, small pool yeah, of the, the accountability yeah. free veterans, yeah. The accountability, exactly. And you know what? Someone like Wayne Ellington, yeah, he's, he's shooting well, but he's also a six million year vet in this league. And I would expect him to be able to come in and shoot well, even if he hasn't uh, been getting consistent minutes because he's done it before. Whereas someone like Sadiq, well, how do you think he's going to react to uh, just being, just having completely inconsistent minutes uh, 
his rhythm is off for sure. Um, so whether it's whether it's Sadiq or Sfi or whatever, uh, I put it on Casey. Uh, not to say you're not responsible for your own shots not going in, but I put it mainly on Casey. Just like I, we put everything else on him, but he deserved the blame for this one too. Yeah, I agree. And it's uh, it's those three players uh, in particular. It's it's uh, it's Sfi, Bay, and Seku. Uh, again, as Jackson gets his minutes, Casey likes him, uh, mm-hmm. and of course Hayes isn't. You know, isn't playing now, and Stewart's getting his minutes because he's the backup center. It's those three players. You're going to be very hard pressed to find a game in which all three of them get significant minutes. Yep. So, and and that's a problem. Casey came out and said, "Oh, it's just impossible to you know, but but you know, to to pay yeah. attention to roster needs. It's impossible to get all these young players their minutes." And it's like, no, you're just not willing to do it. You're just absolutely. No, it's also to do his it. job. Yeah. It's also his job. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, it is the only thing yeah. he has to do, and he gets paid handsomely to do it. Yeah. What do you mean it's impossible? Yeah, you, you choose. <laughs> you choose who plays. Exactly. It's <laughs> I don't it's it. not impossible. He's just not willing to hand out. I mean, again, you have these rookies getting like between thirty and thirty five percent of the minutes on average, which is not a mm-hmm. lot, especially in a rebuilding season. That's a very small amount, and he's not willing to increase that pool. Is basically what it is. He is yeah, not willing to increase that pool, and it is maddening and it is stupid. And he's doing it, you know. Yep. And and I think with Weaver, it's deliberate as well yeah. for him to pretend it's not deliberate. It's like I said, it's his only job. He gets paid millions of dollars to do this job. Yeah. He knows what he wants to do and why he wants to do it. Now we might not agree uh, with those methods and those reasons, but for him to pretend it's like, oh, I was so focused on winning, I just I was rolling with Wayne and I forgot about the young guys. It's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You know what you're doing. You know who's on your roster. You know who who can do what. Um, and at the end of the day, it's his choice. It's his choice who plays and who doesn't. And right now, he's doing a very poor job of, of doing well, anything. Well, look at the that role that he gets when he's on the floor. Even a little I mean, bit He's of only sense. parked yeah. in the corner. And, and that can transition. Pretty obvious. Like, Casey doesn't trust Sadiq to yeah. do anything but be a three-point yeah, shooter. Too. And I would, if I was Casey, I would, like, I would love to see Sadiq come off a screen. But when mm-hmm. there's perimeter offense or when they're running something uh, on the three-point line, Sadiq is always in the opposite corner just drawing a defender away. You know, Casey is – it seems like Casey – if if Sadiq is going to get his own offense, it's going to be he has to just kind of move around the perimeter and hope to find something or find something in transition. But if it's half court offense, Sadiq is always in the opposite corner. They kind of look for a shot for him, but Sadiq has definitely earned the reputation as just a guy. You just need to keep him uh, guarded on the three point line. He's not going to do much else. So, you know, Casey's not giving him anything besides that, but it's a little bit on Sadiq. Like he needs to add something on the perimeter in terms of like a driving game so that. You know, these guys will have a reason to guard him anywhere but that corner three or that perimeter three. Like you don't want to crowd the paint, you know, if they're running offense on the right side and Sadiq is in the corner. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Sadiq to curl around uh, the top of the arc because then it's just going to get crowded up there. But uh, Casey's just not – He just, it's just pretty obvious. He just doesn't trust him to do much else. And that's – I think that's the reason he's not getting anything. And you can argue like, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. What a surprise. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey, yeah. Casey not trusting a play, not trusting a young player. I mean, where have we seen that before? That's that's that, that has been a persistent issue. And again, that's why I think why Masai got rid of his veterans. That's because of, is because if Casey yeah. is trying to win, yeah. he is absolutely going to gravitate toward the familiar. Uh the the unnamed former coach who all you know who sucked worse, you know, who's who was awful. And the best thing I can say about Casey a lot of the time is he's just he's just better than that guy. It's certainly, you know, it's better with young players, but uh, you know, for what that's worth. But and his young players actually like him for whatever that's worth. I think that's what we hear yeah. anyway. But Casey players do seem to like. Yeah, Casey yeah. does not 
trust his young players if he doesn't absolutely have to. He does not trust them. He did the same thing with Kennard uh, in Casey's first season with the Pistons. Kennard would just be standing in a corner, you know, and he wouldn't move. He wouldn't get any help off the ball because Kennard, if he wants to get loose, is going to have to get an off-ball screen. Wouldn't get it. Casey preferred to have Thon Maker shooting threes instead. Uh, yeah, it was it was maddening, but this is the kind of stupid stuff that Casey does because he's yeah, an extremely mediocre coach. Sure, yeah, sure. So, and yeah. also, too, Tommy, to your point as well. Yeah, this year it's Wayne um, Ellington. It's tough yeah. to be able to show something when you're when the bulk of your minutes are with Derrick Rose. And that's not to say that I don't like Rose as a player because I absolutely do. And, you know, you don't win MVP by uh, not hunting your own shot for the most part. But even when the young guys do get out there and it's four uh, of our rookies or four of our young guys with Derek, they're kind of just relegated to watching Derek dribble around and then chuck something up at the end of the shot clock. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a combination of you're not getting the minutes. And then when you do get the minutes, you're not getting the role. So it's, it's, I I would almost say that for the youth on this team, we've almost not seen the ideal situation at all. Like none of them have been in the ideal situation that you'd like to see a rebuilding team put the young guys in at all because they don't get the minutes and then they don't get the opportunity when they do get the minutes. So really it's just, um, it's just a compounding of issues until eventually you get what you, what we're currently seeing right now which is useless game after useless game after useless game where nothing we're watching has anything to do with the future of the franchise, at least not in a positive way, because nobody's developing. Nobody's, uh, you know, learning good habits, bad habits, or figuring their game out. They're just sitting on the bench. And when they do happen to find themselves on the floor, um, they're sitting around waiting yeah. to get the ball. It's very, it's, it's very predictable what happens, basically. Casey's rotation. Uh, I don't remember if we talked about this in the last episode, but... Eventually, at the end of the first, you know, near the end of the first quarter, it will be four youngsters and Rose and Stewart will set screens and Rose will look mostly for his own offense. And it's it's frustrating. But yep. uh, as far as Casey, he also doesn't really put players. Casey does not have the the innovative bones in his body to actually, well, do anything innovative at all. But also to not he, he he's not going to look at particular players and say, I'm going to use you in a way that best befits your talents. Uh, like, for example, or in a way that maximizes what they can offer, rather. Like, we know that one of one of Seku's, uh, you know, we can transition to talking about Seku. Uh, one of his strengths is that he's a very good off-ball mover. He's very good at making the basket ahead of his defender, getting the pass, and getting an easy bucket. Now, for the most part, on this season, Casey has just had him standing still. Like, uh, in, in the last game, he was moving a lot off the ball. And I've got to think that that was probably part of the scheme. Uh, I, Seku doesn't really strike me as the player who's just going to stand still because he feels like it. So uh, I, I don't see him ever being high. You know, at this point, he's not going to be successful in a role that, that just features him uh, either trying to attack the basket, which he's just not very good at doing it. And once he comes into contact, he's, he's pretty unlikely to score. Uh, he he's might be a decent three-point shooter, but I mean, he, you really need to make the most of his talents, and that's one of his chief talents. And Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a fantastic off-ball cutter. Yeah. I rem- I don't know if you guys remember, there was a clip of uh, last season against against the Lakers. I think there was a clip of LeBron. Um, so uh, Dumboya kind of cut in behind him for like a quick dunk off of an inbound, like a baseline inbound. Yeah. Uh, and LeBron had his hands up like, what, what is going on? Nah. Like he like <laughs> he couldn't believe that, you know, this this guy. Uh, just had just snuck in and 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 found easy. Uh, I think points. I think it was so, I think it was upset that uh, nobody did, that nobody signaled. Actually, that was probably the thing. Uh, 
whichever the point yeah. may be, yeah, whatever the case may be, he he causes trouble for opposing defenses. And I'm I'm not going to say he's that's an elite skill of his, but to relegate him to a spot up shooter in the corner, like like you said, he's an okay three point shooter, but a, a good coach. Um, he he uses the strengths of his players and attacks the weaknesses of the opposition. And Seku's strength is finding those tiny windows on the floor where he can grab the ball and then use his athleticism to get up and just jam it in there. Um, and it's easy points, but Casey doesn't use them that way. Casey just says, uh, you know, the offense will find you probably, I'm sure is a phrase he's used before where it's like, yeah, if it happens, it happens, but we're not running anything for you. And we're certainly not running a free flowing offense where you're encouraged to find soft spots in the coverage and, and get yourself open. Yeah. He, um, he benefits like uh, a lot of the young players from the absence of Griffin and, and Tommy, I know you were talking about how Griffin and different was, yeah. I mean, things look with that, was that clip that was popping up on Twitter of just like, it was like eight consecutive passes that ended in a Mason Plumley dunk. That never happens when Griffin is on the floor because he moves slowly, he holds the ball, the defense resets, and then it doesn't happen when Rose is on the floor because Rose just carries the ball, he gets in, he gets to the rim, and if he has a shot, he'll try it. And I think you even told me, like, he's not even shooting that well from the restricted area this year. I mean, yeah. Oh, he's been awful yeah. in the restricted so area. So when you have two less than heavily ball-dominant guys like that who for some reason are not told by their coach, hey, get the other people involved, uh, you get this ugly offense and it stunts the development of these young guys. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure why Casey allows this to keep happening because we only lost by four to Philly and they're a great team. And I, I feel like part of that is, yeah, there's less film to game plan these guys. And maybe that's why the offense looked as good as it did, but I still prefer that by far to what we see when Griffin and Rose are doing the bulk of the ball handling. I agree. Yeah. You don't, it's, it's like I've said before, and this is true, certainly true of Griffin. It's, it's true of Rose as well. Less so because Rose, if he chooses, uh, or I don't know, maybe if he's directed to can play in more of an offense where, he, where the ball is being passed around and so on and so forth. It's not really in his nature. His nature is just to go straight away attack, but it's really hard for players yeah. to be themselves with those, with Rose and, and Griffin on the floor. And I think that comes up certainly with Seku. Uh, I don't know if it was at Casey's instigation or whatever, but uh, this this last game was the first one in which he really he really uh, was was moving, and uh, yeah, in which he was just really moving a lot. And and who knows, maybe he was just feeling more energized. Maybe that was part of it. I mean, it certainly can't help that uh, by all accounts he has been working very hard outside uh, outside of the game, and he's just not getting minutes. I mean, this is another another Caseyism, and this is just. Uh, what about talk about Caseyisms? It's unclear to me if he's just completely double speaking, uh, or is starting to lose touch with reality. When he came out and he said, to, <laughs> I mean, "You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about." He said, uh, "All Seku needs yeah. is the opportunity and chance. He took advantage of it. I'm happy for him. The future's going to be bright for him." It's like, dude, you are the only person who decides if he gets this chance. The only person. Yeah, it's, it's not us three deciding. Yeah, it's, 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 it's Dwayne deciding alone in his office when he's got his little clipboard yeah. and he's deciding who the starters are going to be and what the minute allocations are going to be like. It's like, dude, it's it's you. Yeah, and why not? <laughs> you decide. He had he had a, a three game stretch in which he played a total of ten minutes. Uh, between Atlanta yeah. and Houston, he played 11 minutes. Uh, sorry, 12. Uh, and he's played 15 minutes or more three times in this game. Excuse me, in this season. Uh, once at two of those games, Griffin was out. And the third one was a blowout. Uh, it was a blowout win against Miami in which he just got more minutes at the end of the game. So It's criminal. It's just it's criminal. It's terrible, especially because I think he's a player who 
I mean, sure. You saw last season that he eventually just fell off a cliff and that was fine. You know, whatever it is, what it is. Yeah. But uh, he, he seems like a player plays with a lot more energy when he's actually getting a chance. And yeah, when he's engaged. Yeah, but instead, his minutes have been low the entire season. And a lot of the time, he just hardly plays at all. Uh, it's not like, uh, it's not like, <laughs> you know, he hasn't, uh, you know, he got one full DMP. It's not like Svi, who legitimately in one game got to play five seconds, which is very impressive in, in the worst sort of way. It sounds made up, but yeah, it actually five happened. seconds, yeah. And he wasn't even part of the play. So, uh, but yeah, but Zeku, I mean, he's a raw player. I, I am not under any uh, under any impression uh, that uh, you know. I'm not operating on the belief that oh, if you just give him more minutes, he's going to be great this season. But he doesn't need to be great. I mean, it's just give him the minutes, let him do his thing, and hopefully improve. That's what this is all about. It comes back to the same thing well, as he's not getting that chance. Concept. That's a very simple concept that Casey has yet to um, embrace. Yeah. And right. I don't think he's going to yeah, get that chance unless somebody gets injured. And I, I, I yeah. oh I, no, I think that's that's beyond question at this point. That um, the only reason we need to get fired up for a game, and I would never wish injury on anybody, obviously not. But you know, if Blake and Rose are are being sat because of whatever yep. they want to call it, injury <laughs> management, load management. Yeah. That's when I'm most excited for a game because I know it sucks. It sucks, but I know that. When I see, okay, Blake Griffin not playing, that means that we have the best chance to now watch what this season should be under proper leadership. Oh, I get, I feel um, so deflated when I when I see the starting lineup and it's five veterans. Oh my God. Every time I see like the E, like the uppercase E that I just know it's yeah. Ellington. I, oh I'll say God. this about Ellington. Like, uh, I don't think Ellington deserves any flack, obviously. I don't, I don't know you guys don't either. No, I mean, he, has, he has been playing very well. I think it's incredibly unlikely he'll sustain this, this clip from three because it's nearly impossible. But well, he's got a golden arm. Yeah, so he does right now. That's that into yeah, that's that's not going to last. I mean, he's he's not going to be shooting. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Ellington this season is, geez, what the, he's shooting someplace in the mid forties, I believe, from three, yeah. and and yeah. you know on difficult opportunities. Uh, excuse me, he's shooting fifty percent from three. That's not going to last. And, no, it's you know, not. And good for him. Yeah. It's not an indictment of him. Like you, you, he's a he's a human being. He's a professional basketball player. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. You know, if I was him, I'd be I'd be jacked up that Casey's like, oh, I, if I was Wayne Ellington, I'd be like, me? You want me in the starting lineup shooting oh, yeah. a million threes a game? Yeah, for sure, man. And I would go out there and do it. So good for you for making the shots. Yeah, he should never be in the starting lineup in the first place. I mean, and if, if no, this were not the situation not. with Casey and Weaver. He would not be in the starting lineup because it's all about, oh, well, he's good. He shoots threes and we want to win. It's like, that is not what we're, what, what the team should be doing right now. No, definitely. Yeah, now, not. Definitely not. Uh, I've seen some questions. What, what can the Pistons get for him on the trade market? It's like, if he sustains this, maybe you get a second round pick. Future second round yeah, pick. Yeah, future second round at, pick. At best. at best. If teams thought he was this good, uh, they would have picked him up. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's been, it's been 11 games too. I mean, it's like... Uh, and it's like, yeah, he's shooting well, but at the same time, I mean, the guy's like, a, you know, he's, he's a... He's a so a mediocre defender who can shoot threes, and it's like that's you shoot threes at a high percentage. That's useful, but like this yeah, guy, this guy is not going to supplant anybody in the starting lineup of a good team. No, but it's funny because Fee can do exactly what uh, exactly yeah. well, maybe not exactly what Ellington does, but they're both three point shooters who right now their best skill um, or the best thing they can offer is steady three point shooting. Absolutely. And why you wouldn't <laughs> opt to go with the person who's thirty seven years younger? I have no clue. <laughs> But you can sit on the bench and Wayne. I mean, yeah. like Wayne could just go out there and, and chuck him up, man, because because God knows that that's what Casey wants yeah, so, him to do, and I'm sure Casey's giving him the green light. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, if, if you're looking without at it, if you're looking at it, uh, you know, purely from uh, from the standpoint of winning, you know, of winning games, then sure, yeah, green light, awesome. Though, though, you know, Ellington would not be starting on a team that were actually decent. But uh, 
Yeah. Or competent. Yeah. Uh, true. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, that can bring us yeah. to Svi, who is, uh, you know, it's worth noting about Svi that's in, in the best basketball league in the world. He was one of the best perimeter shooters in the world uh, the last yeah. season. Uh, you know, from spot up, he was elite. He was elite on, on shooting from around screens uh, and, and off handoffs. You know, he struggled to begin the season. He's been shooting 41, 41.5% from game four onward. But he's part of that group of three players, you know, of Seku, Sadiq, and Svi, you know, the three S. And, uh, you know, if those two are getting minutes, he isn't. Basically, it boils down yep. to. And sometimes, uh, sometimes only one of the others might be getting minutes and he still won't. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely instances of that. <laughs> so, uh, like, like the game, um, yeah, and then that blow went against Miami. Somehow, Casey managed to play uh, speed two minutes and then Bay 11. I don't know how, but. Um, Inconceivable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know. I'm losing my stress ball right now. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, speed. Uh, speed, kind of what you see is what you're going to get. Uh, you know, he's a good shooter. Uh, he has learned to actually shoot some threes off the dribble. That's nice. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, he's, he's not he's not doing it a ton, but, you know, who knows? Does he, he might have less to offer than Ellington right now just because Ellington's being more consistent. But Svi, I think, has, you know, he's he's, he's young. He's going to hopefully be on the team for for a while, I think. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's just it, I, I know we're, we're just saying this again and again. It's it's just frustrating just to, to just to see what's happening. No, it's frustrating and it's not changing, um, and we're not seeing any indication that it is going to change because the only times we get what we want are when Blake and Rose don't play. Yeah, exactly, and even then, Casey, like well, what another thing Casey said recently is is uh, is is about uh, like against the Seventy Sixers. What he said is. You know, that the young players played well. We did everything the right way. The problem with the youth is that you have to learn how to close the deal. The only way to learn is by going through the fire. Uh, it's like, okay, um, <laughs> do it. Well, you're not giving the youth this chance. Even when, when Griffin and Rose are out, yeah, you finish with as, as few young players as you possibly can. Your veterans have constantly failed to finish. Uh, <laughs> you know, so let's not just say it's the young players who are having trouble with that, but we all know you don't hold your veterans accountable, so it's a moot point. And how are they going to learn through the fire? if they can't, uh, you know, get that chance. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's just, it's the same frustration over and over again. And I know we brought up last episode, you know, how much is Weaver involved? Uh, and, and I continue to believe that he is probably quite involved. You know, I, I, I don't know. Probably, yeah. probably. Well, you, you, you'd think that they're not completely disconnected. I'm sure they talk every day. And if Weaver had such a problem with what's going on, you know, there, there, there might be some changes, but we haven't, we haven't had any indication of that thus far. So you're only left to believe that, you know, there really isn't that much of a disconnect there. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, what do you was, think? Uh, uh, to, I asked the Weaver's question to James event? Edwards, like, does, what is, does Weaver have any uh, influence on who gets minutes? And I think he, in his mailbag today, he indicated, yeah, no, Weaver is pretty on board with what's happening here. Which really surprised me because I'm I, I love the draft and the fact that we have four rookies. I would or I mean no, I know Killian's out, but I would love to see these guys get more opportunity. So I, I figured, you know, especially after the second game where hardly any young guys played and it seemed like we had kind of turned the corner like Casey had gotten a talking to, I figured, okay, yeah, Weaver uh probably stepped in and uh took care of it, but nope. Seems like it's come all the way back and it seems like we was okay with it. So I don't know 
what their end game is. I don't know how they think the uh, the young guys are going to get minutes. I know it's it hasn't been. It's only a quarter of the way through the season. Maybe they're trying to slowly bring them in. Uh, we've seen adjustments made in games. Like, I know that during the Houston game, Isaiah Stewart wasn't playing Boogie Cousins on the perimeter, and then the second half he was. You know these these some of these adjustments are being made. I just wish they would make more. You know, for a rebuilding team that has nothing to gain from trying to win, it's very confusing to me that they opt to distribute the minutes the way that they do. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's confusing for us too. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> confusing. And then the, the, the truly kind of uh, sort of deflating slash befuddling part of it is that the rookies are, that the young players are playing considerably lower percentage of the minutes now than they did in the first eight games of the season. Like yeah. From, uh, from, yeah. Yeah. From game nine onward. When you look down the list, you know, when you start at the Phoenix game, 30%, 31 and a half, uh, 38 and a half, 30, 25, 23, <laughs> and, and 31 and a half. So, and, and that's like, uh, it hurts. It, it, it hurts. It, it's bad. You know, it, it, it's real bad. And so. it hurts because we just want to see them play. And it's a lot more fun and it's a lot more exciting. And, you know, judging by the, the, the ratings of the starting lineup versus the bench. It's all the young guys play better a, a lot of the time. It's better basketball, um, so I just can't even fathom it. it. It is deflating. It's frustrating, and thus far, it hasn't changed. Uh, hasn't changed much. So it's it'll remain to be seen what ends up happening. But I'm not overly optimistic for Dwayne Casey to have a complete um, epiphany on his coaching oh, style. No, I don't think. I think that's not at this point. Highly unlikely to happen. Now, what scares yep. me about this team, though, when it comes to Weaver is that we all know, sure, he wants it to be a competitive tank and uh, not competitive tank, competitive rebuild, but they, you know, they try to win every night and winning culture and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know how much of that is Tom Gores. We all know about him being the winning, you know, talking about winning culture, though. It's hard for me to tell exactly how much of that was just him not wanting to tank, you know, just just still self, just deluding himself into thinking, you know, as, if, as long as they just keep trying to win, they'll become a better team. So, but like, if you just change a, a few, the Pistons have not been losing by much. I don't think that's by design. Casey, uh, I don't think Casey is, is, you know, is is is, is deliberately undermining them. And that, you know, at the end of close games, I think it's extremely unlikely. There's no way that Weaver is this all-time genius who is able to calculate all of these uh, these uh, these variables in his head. And uh, like, let's say Blake Griffin were a league average starter, the Pistons would very possibly have seven or eight wins right now. That is a low lottery record. <laughs> you know, if if Blake Griffin, who you know, Griffin was is legitimately been one of the worst big minute players in the league. I mean, it's not just his stats, which are awful. He's worse than his stats because he he stunts the offense. He's a horrible defender. So yeah, if he were a little bit better, then okay. Uh, well, well, suddenly we're winning games and this is going in a really bad direction. Or if Killian Hayes had come in and played better, it's like okay. Well, you know, if you have Killian Hayes and he's a real point guard and he's he's better than Delon Wright, who's been awful. Then okay, maybe you're winning games now too, and and I know Tommy, you've said that you don't think that that Weaver knew that, that thought that Jeremy Grant would play this well, but it's uh, you know it, it also comes up like it, it's come out that Weaver did want to keep Christian Wood. He just didn't want to pay him more than ten million dollars. Ten million dollars was this the what's called the league's estimated average salary, and uh, if you're at the estimated average salary or less, then you can sign a player with uh, with what's called early bird rights. It's pretty. I don't know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the CDA, it's, it's a little bit complicated. I don't want to get into it right now because it would take a few minutes to explain. But uh, yeah, the, the NBA CBA is really, really complex. And I've said it before, it makes the NHL's uh, the CBA look like a children's novel. So 
In any event, uh, so he would have been happy to have Christian Wood on this team alongside Jeremy Grant if he could. And uh, yeah, there's no way that team is in the low is, is in the is in the high lottery. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, so that makes me feel a little concerned. <laughs> you know, I, I don't feel uh, I, I don't feel at this point it really makes that 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 uh, Troy Weaver deserves the uh, you know deserves the benefit of the doubt when it comes to his judgment. Time will tell. But yeah, that that does concern me, and and I wonder what would happen if the Pistons did start winning, and the Pistons were were on the road to a lottery pick. And I get the feeling, uh, you know, this is purely purely conjecture, but I get the feeling that Troy Weaver would not intervene at all. And uh, no, no, we haven't got an indication that he would. So it's a safe assumption and, that he would. That would be a disaster. That would be an absolute and utter disaster. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. That would be yeah. bad. Luckily, you know, I can. Uh, check tankathon every day and and roll the lottery and watch us get the fifth pick 25 times in a yeah, row and true. i could go to sleep at night happy. yeah uh you know and, and the, the nice. schedule will get Comforting. schedule will get easier later in the season too so yeah and maybe we'll see some wins that don't uh that can be fun to watch where we they don't have much of a bearing on the lottery and that'll be fun you know ideally that the, the team is looking a little different after the trade deadline and in that case it i guess it would be the youth playing out of necessity um, so that might be a little more fun. So that's something to look forward to, I suppose. Yeah, there's something to say about the trade deadline. I've, I've seen some questions as to are the Pistons playing Griffin in these big minutes to showcase him for a trade. Uh, I would say mm. no. I would say that well, they're, they're doing a poor job. If that's yeah, what I would say that's yeah a couple things. Yeah, that's one thing. Yeah, Blake Griffin is probably getting these minutes because he's Blake Griffin and Dwayne Casey is Dwayne Casey, and is loading yep. minutes on him in every situation, uh, you know, in vital yep. situations and in every game. Uh, but if they were doing it to showcase Blake Griffin's trade value, then they have disabused, you know, then, then basically uh, it's been an absolute and utter failure because, oh, they failed spectacularly. Yeah, because the guy is being paid $37 million and he is far below an average starter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, any closing thoughts? Um, well, like starting lineup is probably going to pop up on Twitter soon. So I'm going to read that, uh, curl up in my Matthew Stafford Jersey and cry. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I don't know, no, you, man. Tommy. I, yeah. uh, I, I'm happy with the record I'm sitting where it's at, but I guess it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. <laughs> wise words. Very wise words. Uh, all right, so that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, as always, want to thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>